Struggling to stay up to date with social media? Do you want to get ahead online? You're in the right place. Welcome to the Public Sector Marketing Show, the podcast for public sector professionals who want to elevate their digital communications. Here's your host, Joanne Sweeney. Hello and welcome to episode 83 of the Public Sector Marketing Show. Right now across the world, there are very many public sector pros working on an EU-funded project and beyond the 27 member states. In this episode, I bring you under the bonnet of EU Project Communications, how to go from complex to concise and how you should show don't tell when promoting your EU project. You'll also want to understand the rules of EU engagement. And I speak to Wendy Namiznik. She is KDM Project Manager and KDM is the Prep for Blue Work Package 2 leader. So as you can tell, it is complex of how we describe who is working on what project, because very often there are lots of collaborators. But stay around and find out how you can improve your EU-funded project communications. So in today's column, I'm talking about understanding the rules of EU engagement. So this is from the perspective of you managing or being a collaborator in an EU-funded project. There's so many things to think about and to get right, and that's really important, the accuracy and the detail of your EU-funded project communications is so important. Let's start off with branding. So there will be brand guidelines from the European Commission and the relevant project or department or directorate that you're working with. So you want to get that clear from the outside and how that branding then aligns with your own project branding. The language that you use in terms of the what we call in comms the boilerplate. So the boilerplate statement is how you describe how your, fu- your project is funded and how it is supported. So that's really important. So you need to get that correct and that will feature in all of your communications. Many EU-funded projects have a lot of partners and stakeholders and collaborators. So when crafting your message and creating your website and setting up your social and your email marketing, you want to have their footprint and their branding in it. So getting clarity on that is really important. You also want to link back and sign post back to your funding organization whether that's a main website, a landing page, are there YouTube videos, tagging them on social media, what are the correct hashtags to use. Then we're stepping into being able to communicate clearly the public impact of your project because that's what you pitched for, right? When you were pitching for this funding, you spoke about the the impact that it's going to make, whether it's to marine science, whether it's to health technology, whether it's to agri and the green transition. So the public impact piece is really important because we can get caught up in the rules of communications from an EU perspective, but then lose the message to the public. So crafting that and using my tips around storytelling will help you achieve it. Transparency is utmost important because this is public funds paid by 
citizens and governments of the member states. So having transparency around what's happening in your project is a core part of your communications. And then bringing it all back and having a consistent communications plan. So once you've built up the foundations of the language, the logos, the storytelling, then you can crack on and build out. Public sector pros, do you want to progress in your career? Are you going for promotion? Do you want to stay ahead of the digital media landscape? We can help you. View our training calendar at publicsectormarketingpros.com. We're all familiar with the adage, when you're explaining, you're losing. When it comes to EU projects, you really need to move from complex to concise. And my advice to you in this consulting segment is to show, don't tell when promoting your EU project. I'll go back to some of the tips in last week's episode about putting the main character at the heart of your storytelling. We can get lost up in the, the official language, and that's what should not happen when you're telling your story about your project. So one great example of the show, don't tell approach is an EU-funded project called Plastic Pirates. Now, this project brings education into the classroom and it's targeted at young children of primary school going age and it's teaching them all about how plastic is impacting our oceans and our waters and they're encouraged to get involved in beach cleanups with Plastic Pirates project managers but then that impact and that resonance that the children have can scale up to their classroom, to their family, to their community. And then showing, not telling, means visually presenting how a project works. Show us the people on the ground. Where is the impact? The impact, obviously, is with these children in the classroom, but also on the coasts and near waters. So my challenge to you today is to show don't tell your EU project, get your team around a table and start brainstorming how you can do your communications better. I thought it was important to invite somebody onto today's show to really unpack how you do great EU project communications. And that person is Wendy Nemisnik. Now, she is a KDM project manager, and KDM is the Prep for Blue Work Package 2 leader. So I asked Wendy what her role is in communications on her Prep for Blue project and how she plans, delivers, and measures great EU communications. Wendy, thank you so much for joining me on the Public Sector Marketing Show. Thank you for having me, Joanne. <laughs> Listen, tell everyone a little bit about you and your your career to date. Oh, it's a long story. <laughs> uh, so I'm Wendy and I'm a project manager at KDM, which is Consortium Deutsche Meeresforschung or the German Marine Research Consortium. And uh, I got here through a very long and complicated story. My background in journalism started as young as when I was 12, I think I was, 13, I got recruited to be a co-editor on my junior high yearbook. And then I also was in my high school yearbook. And then when I went on to university, I studied journalism and I wrote for my university newspaper and I got my degree in journalism. Um, and then I kind of took a hiatus from that for a while and uh, 
when I finally came back to it, I got my master's in international relations and I started working for organizations that hired me to do communications work on behalf of the environment. I did an internship at the US EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, um, and then uh, for a lobbyist and then for a construction, uh, a worldwide construction organization. And then finally, I landed at the state of California uh, where I was an information officer and then finally a web content manager. So I moved into away from print and into web. And then when I decided to move to Germany to study German um, and kind of get out of the U.S. for a while, I was offered a job at the Leibniz Institute in Bremen, and it was working on my first European Commission project. And the role was largely communications um, and capacity development and helping to manage a work package there. And that was a two-year contract. And when that um, contract ended, I was picked up by KDM. Leibniz Institute was a member of KDM. And I had worked closely with Stefan at KDM. And so he decided to offer me a contract. And then we got this Prep for Blue project. Um, and so now I'm permanent on this for the length of this contract. So, and it, it was funny because years ago when I had got away from communications, I had kind of made like a vision board and I made a statement that I wanted to live and work in Europe doing communications on behalf of the environment. And somehow, some way that is exactly what I'm doing. And I ended up here and I, sometimes I really can't believe it happened. You know, when I listened to that backstory and I've heard it before, right? But when I listened to it, and who says it? Is it Steve Jobs said you can only join the dots back after it happens? That makes perfect sense. But it makes yeah. perfect sense career to date. Um, and I love an old vision board myself. And I think yeah. that also. <laughs> but here, we all starting as. Go on. We all go through those phases, right, where we have to figure out what is it I want to do. When I was transitioning, getting my master's degree, because I went back to school late. I was in my 30s when I went back for my master's. Um, and I had been working in real estate for a while and I, I knew that I knew in America it was going to crash because I saw the kind of loans that were being done. And I thought I have to get back to what's important to me and what's important to me. And I made this board and I thought, this is what I'm good at. This is what I've done my whole life. Um, this is where I can make a difference. And, and then, I mean, it took a while to get here, but I'm finally here. <laughs> and a brilliant background and a brilliant communications toolkit set of skills but we both started as journalists that I know that every day I work I lean into those journalism skills do you like me think it was maybe the best grounding and training that you ever got yeah and and I I always go back to this one class I had I had this professor her name was Sylvia Fox and she was brilliant um, and this was back when journalism was still a little bit old school and the thing that I learned about reporting was it's not supposed to be biased. All words are supposed to be neutral. You're not supposed to put opinions in your reporting. You're supposed to be factual. You're not supposed to use adjectives. And we've really gotten away from that with modern reporting um, in terms of where people are going to get their news, right? It's podcasts like this, or it's YouTube, or it's TikTok, or it's Instagram, or it's Twitter. X now, I don't think I'll ever be able to call it that. Um, but, uh, I still try in my own work to go back to those principles that I was taught specifically in her class and all through my graduate program, which was what are the facts, what needs to be said, 
what is the key point? How does this sentence need to be structured to give people the information they need? Um, and so I, I definitely always go back to that. I don't know that those same skills are as relevant today as they were back then, because like I said, everyone's getting their news from different formats and in different ways. And everything tends to be highly politicized now and everyone's got an opinion and everyone's wanting opinions. And there's lots of fake news where people just report stuff that's blatantly not true. Um, but I always try and stick to my original background. Blue is a massive project, but also it's one that has, I mean, huge environmental impact and the network of stakeholders and collaborators that you are engaged with and have conversations with every day is, is quite remarkable. But tell our listeners and our viewers a little bit about it. So Prep for Blue is it's funded by the EC under the Horizon program, and it's the first and overarching mission, ocean and waters coordination and support action. So when they started this mission, it's one of five missions. It's Mission Ocean and Waters, um, and it's uh, Restore Them by 2030. Um, we were funded first in sort of to sort of support what's called the lighthouse areas, which are geographic locations around Europe, um, to create tools and pilot things for them to sort of help support them and get the ball rolling in the first phase of Mission Ocean and Waters. And so um, we're developing tools and guidelines, methodologies to be used by the stakeholders on all mission funded projects. And basically the goal is to optimize and create synthesis across the mission activities and provide solutions so that there's more cohesion, there's more connectivity, there's more public awareness, there's more collaboration. And that so hopefully this mission actually makes a difference and that people can see tangible results and we know we're doing something right through this project. Um, there's hundreds of projects, smaller projects that aren't CSAs that are involved in the mission. Um, and I would say at this point, thousands of people working in different capacities in some way that directly or indirectly support Mission Ocean and Waters. And as a great communicator, you articulated that really well. But let's talk about the communications aspect of it. And how do you coordinate comms? for a project with such a big ambition for the European Commission as the funder, and then with this network of stakeholders. Like I've seen you in action and I always tell you, it's one of your superpowers, how you can navigate, bring people together. And I just wanted to bring you on the show for, for you to share some of your, your magic powers with, with my tribe. Thank you for saying that. Um, so, when we first were funded with this and we knew that our work package was going to be on communications and there's actually another work package in prep for blue that also does communications but they are commuting prep communicating prep for blue as a project we decided to take on the task of helping to communicate the mission for the larger public audience and so one of the first things that you have to do um, and it's one of your tasks and deliverables in most projects is develop a communication plan and so we sit down first and we do a communications plan. And part of my communications plan is always, and I learned this when I was working at Leibniz, there's a lot of reinventing the wheel and duplicating other projects work and other communications work. And I didn't want us to do that. And so I knew first off that I needed to get a group at the European Commission talking to us, specifically their communications people. 
And then also figuring out there's there's the Lighthouse CSAs. They weren't going to get funded until a few months after we got funded. So we wouldn't know who those comms people were. But the the goal that I wanted to meet was creating a group of relative communications people, sorry, relevant communications people from the European Commission and from the lighthouses. And then later down the road, as the other projects get funded, their communications people as well. Once this group gets formulated, then we can start trying to set meetings. And then in these meetings, we can talk about things that have already been developed. Like, for example, we said we would develop the branding for Mission Ocean and Waters. And but come to find out when the project started, the European Commission had already done that. They already had a team working on this stuff. So if I wouldn't have done that initial reach out to their comms teams through our project officer, we would have never known that and we would have reinvented the wheel and spent money and time doing something that was already done. So I, I knew right away we had to get in contact with all these people to make sure we didn't do that and to get the right resources from the European Commission. Because if they'd already done the branding, that would mean they would want us in the lighthouses to stick to their branding. So that was really key for us. Um, and then, of course, once you start having these regular meetings, you can start hearing from people about what they're missing, what they want, what they can't find, what they need, what's already been done, what's out there, where to find it. And then it, it kind of helps the communications start flowing in a much better way, because then people aren't wasting their time or their money or their effort looking for things that already exist or recreating them. And I think when you're working with the European Commission or any large um, stakeholder network of different partners, this is really the most important. Get the comms people together regularly talking so that people aren't going off in their own direction. I used to work for um, a construction organization and they were international and they had like 60 something offices and each one of those offices was doing their own thing, using their own branding, doing their own logo. And they were one, one entity and they actually had two offices bid on the same project under the same umbrella name. And it reflected so poorly on them. Um, and so they hired my boss at the time to come in and streamline all the offices, get everyone using the same branding, everyone consistent messaging, everyone using the same logo, and then stop all of these individual offices from creating their own flyers and all this kind of stuff. And it was really key because how embarrassing to have two offices bid on the same project. They weren't even talking to each other when it should have just been that overarching company bidding on the project. So it's it's really the most important thing. Get everyone meeting. And then in terms of the communications tactics, you know, this is a massive project. It's European wide. You want to reach the public where they are. Uh, so digital comms was going to be a very big aspect. And, and you guys took on board setting up the social networks for Mission Ocean and Waters. Yeah, so the technically, um, legally, the European Commission is not allowed to have social media channels for individual projects like this or for CSAs. They have several channels, but they're based on the, I think, the organizational structure of the European Commission. So they couldn't have a dedicated Mission Ocean and Waters set of social media channels. So we said we would do that. And, and I wanted... They, they're the EC is primarily on Twitter on X, 
Um, I think they have some Facebook accounts and I think they also have some Instagram accounts, but they're very limited and in what they can do and what they can post and, and their channels have to be used to promote a lot of things across their organizational department. So they can't be focused every day on a particular mission. So I wanted us to get more dynamic and set up more channels across all things. Uh, I, we're on seven channels now. And then the more I realized, okay, we've got their branding, but we need to create content and we need to do more outreach and we need to be dynamic on these channels that they're not even on. Um, and soon it became clear that we became kind of the voice for Mission Ocean and Waters, not officially, unofficially, but officially. Um, and so since we were doing all the content, we were going to all the events, we were posting all the content there, and then it became very clear that we needed to bring on someone to actively manage these channels. And so that's also what's important is recognizing when you can't do all the work and you need to hire outside help. So that's when we hired your organization to help with all the social media, which has been key in growing our audience and having more dynamic content and doing reels and things that I would have not been able to do in the time that I have to commit to this project. Um, and so we do want to make it more dynamic. We do want to make it more innovative. We do want to be on more channels. And so we know that we need to um, go to the people who are good at that, which, again, I have a journalism background, but I'm not a social media um, expert like like your team is. And, you know, you spoke about the being not the official voice for Mission Ocean and Water, but having the channels and building the platforms. And what became very clear is that the message was becoming the same, right? explaining what the mission was what its objectives were and then the next challenge was to evolve the story but what became apparent then is you had brought all these communications officers from all of the projects together they began to share what they were doing and that took the content to the next level and then again with your editorial eye you said oh, we're getting same same again we need to actually get into communities and this is where the mojo idea was born right yeah. So, yeah. So I was trying to think back about how we came up with this idea and I really couldn't put my finger on it. I think what happened was me and you and Stefan, the, the head of KDM, I think we were meeting and I think we might've even been in Hamburg or something. Um, and we were talking about how can we elevate our content? And we knew that one of our deliverables, one of our tasks was going to be to lead a social media campaign, something specifically focused on a, on a very targeted um, issue. And we wanted that issue to be youth. Um, and so I think we were all brainstorming and came up with the idea, well, if we're going to do a campaign targeted at youth, it should probably be done by youth. And it should be done by people with boots on the ground in the lighthouse areas. There's four lighthouse areas, um, which just real quickly, those are the Atlantic Arctic, the Mediterranean Sea, the Baltic North Sea, and the Danube River Basin. Um, politically, maybe the Black Sea, maybe not. We're not quite sure at this point. Um, but those are the areas. And we wanted um, people in those areas to capture the stories, the real projects, the things that were happening that were making a difference, you know, going beyond beach cleanups, which are integral and we should spotlight them all. But there are other really cool things happening. And I'm sitting back, you know, working from my desk. I'm not a boot on the ground capturing this stuff. And so we thought, well, if we could get mobile journalists, mojos, and we could get them to be under 30, maybe former youth ambassadors or early career ocean professionals, 
and they have some social media savvy and they have some skill and they're good with their, their cameras and their specialty iPhones and their videos, um, they could create some stuff for us that we could put on TikTok that maybe they have their own social media following already and they can capture this really cool stuff that's happening or they can come up with ideas on stories to tell. And then we can expand our social media content and grow these other channels, which typically have not been tapped into by the larger organizations that are being run by, dare I say, wiser <laughs> people, <laughs> um, a little older and wiser, and maybe they're not active on TikTok, but TikTok is what's growing, right? Or these new channels are what's growing. And these are the people we want to reach too. We don't want it to just be the, the Twitter, the X audience. We don't want it to be um, an echo chamber of the people who are already working on the projects. We want to reach the public. We want to reach the youth. We want to reach your average citizen who can say, hey, how can I get involved? Can I get involved? What could I do? Why does this matter? Why is the European Commission important? Why is the funding of these projects important? What are these projects accomplishing? You know, how does this affect me in my daily life? And to see that it does, and this is how, but more importantly, to show them in a, in a fun and innovative and dynamic way, which, you know, for our team is a little bit more difficult to do. Yeah, and that's a really important point. You keep challenging uh, the communications, the storytelling, and the impact that the social is doing. Um, and that challenges us then to come up with new ideas and take it to the next level. So currently the Mojos are right now, as we speak, out on the field in Georgia, in Germany, in Amsterdam, and in Ireland, collecting those stories and are coming soon. But I want to shift gears again and, you know, people who are working on EU projects from a comms perspective, it can be overwhelming and huge demands on their shoulders. But what's required from you in terms of reporting success and communications? Well, we have periodic reports due as part of the project. Um, and we actually have one coming up. Uh, I'm not, I'm going to look at it from an editing perspective, but I think my boss at KDM is probably going to be writing that report. Uh, of course, it will compile the statistics that your team has collected in terms of social media engagement and users and growth and all of that kind of stuff. Um, and I'm hoping that they show that we've done a good job. We also have lots of we can report on the fact that we've attended all of the kickoff meetings and we've been to all of the lighthouse areas and we've done interviews with a number of key people that are involved um, we have an excellent website that uh, Stefan has been working on with a group called Cubic Photo, and it's done some really cool and innovative stuff in terms of ca capturing drone footage. And you can actually click on certain points on the website and it will zoom you through certain areas of all the lighthouses. And then you can um, ask questions of people that we've recorded on video and the interviewees come in and out of frame. And it's really worth exploring. It's missionoceanwaters.eu. And so hopefully when we show, um, we'll compile a list of all the tools and resources we've created. So for us, that's a communication toolkit. It's a Trello board that you helped us with. Um, it's the website. It's seven social media channels with all of the statistics. So there is a robust amount that will go into the report to demonstrate success in this area. But really what matters, you know, from a, from a personal perspective and for the mission in general is that people engage. 
it's not so much about engaging with us on social media. It's about engaging in the mission in general, which is, are they partaking in beach cleanups? Are they part of a project that's developing some new amazing technology? Are they helping to reduce their plastic use? Are they um, spreading the word with their friends and telling them, hey, don't drop your cigarette butt on the ground. You know, don't leave your trash at the beach when you go. Um, are you eating sustainably? You know, these kinds of things matter. And so the more people we can get to be involved in terms of just tweaking their everyday life and exercising behaviors that are more beneficial for our ocean waters, that's really what matters in the in the long term. And communicate our communication will hopefully help people get there. Like our stories, our narrative, our our videos, our reels, our photographs, the things that we share and we repost from other amazing content creators. There's so many amazing ocean content creators, especially on Instagram. Um, and TikTok posting these beautiful videos of, of sea life and why why they matter, why it's important to protect them. This is, yeah, this is you, what we aspire to. Uh, Wendy, um, obviously we're on WhatsApp together, but when I see a WhatsApp coming in from you, I'm like, okay, this will be some Instagram reel from the ocean, from species that we we didn't even know existed that yeah. we can't recognize. Um, right down to the deep sea. So you've got, you've got a good eye for that. But what three tips would you give uh, comms colleagues who are working on major projects or EU-funded projects? I, I think the first thing is if you're working specifically on comms, you need to start reaching out to the projects that are relevant to you, that are your partner projects, your sister projects, um, affiliate networks, and get and ask them who their comms people are and get the list together of the comms people, because these are the people who've already created tools that might be useful to you. These are the people that you're going to see time in and time out at events, and you want to know who they are. These are the people that can help amplify your messaging via your own social media channels. These are the people that have content to contribute to your own website. So once you've got this list going, you've got your email list, Set up a set up a group, create a group. Our group is called the Communications Collaborative. And I chose that word collaborative specifically. It was intentional. It was my strategy because I wanted it to be a collaborative group. Sometimes you see, and I haven't seen it too much with um, within the European Commission projects, but I've seen it with other projects, which is people get competitive and they don't want to share their resources and they don't want to share information. But what I found with these kinds of projects is people do want to share information and they do want access to the tools. So getting this collaborative group established is really important because then you, like I said earlier, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You don't have to waste time, money and resources trying to find things that already exist. Um, and then once you start talking to each other and sharing, it really just makes everyone's life easier. So set, Point number two is set regular meetings with them. We meet once a month. It's an open agenda. Anyone can contribute to it who's a partner so that they get a chance to speak. And each month we take turns leading it. Um, I was really fortunate because right after I started this group, uh, the, the mission implementation platform was created and they also had a similar task to create a similar group. And I said, just take mine over. <laughs> And so now I've got someone else running admin on it, um, which is great for me. But the, the ball was rolling and this so they didn't have to reinvent the wheel. 
the work was already started for them as well. They could take it over. And now we've got lots of partners contributing to this group and meeting and sharing resources. Hopefully the resources help them. And point number three, uh, like we've talked about, look for ideas outside the box because so many times with this older um, approach to projects, people get stuck in the same generic posts about, hey, support the mission or um, go to this event. But that's not going to capture a newer audience that's looking for instant gratification or that wants to see something pretty or wants to hear the political spin on it or maybe is looking for the controversy in something. Um, get ideas from other people. No idea is a bad idea. No idea is a stupid idea. Everyone has a right to contribute their ideas, and then you can take it from there and see what's important in terms of what you, what kind of content you want to pursue and post. Super advice. Yeah. Things change so fast. I mean, I'm going to be 50 in December, and I feel like I am so old school already, and I just can't keep up with what with certainly not with what teens are doing, even in people in their twenties and thirties, like it's beyond me already. So their ideas matter. You know, when, a, when an 18 year old says, Oh, you should do this. That matters. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, so finally, where should people check out prep for blue and mission ocean and waters? Uh, real easy prep for blue.eu <laughs> mission, ocean and waters.eu. And uh, I just want to point out the official website for Mission Ocean Waters actually resides on the Europa website, which is the EC's official uh, website. You can link to their website. Their URL is so long. Um, so if you go to prepforblue.eu or you go to missionoceanwaters.eu, you can also find links that will get you to the European Commission's website and web pages on the on the mission. Uh, what I want to say, though, is their website, their web pages are focused mostly on stakeholders and project partners. They have cool dashboards and, and maps and things that you can look at. Um, and if you're an organization or a legal entity and you're interested in endorsing the charter, um, there is a Mission Ocean and Waters Charter. You can you can pledge to it your action, how you will, how your organization or entity will contribute officially to the mission, and that's that's a really great thing to do. You can learn all about that on that on the EC's website, the MissionOceanWaters.eu website. This is where you're going to find the cool videos and the cool interviews, and this is geared more towards the public. But both websites are great to check out, as is the prepforblue.eu uh, website also has lots of cool tools, especially on citizen engagement and uh, signing, endorsing the charter. Um, and then as well as if you're looking for events, they they have a really great calendar of events that's that's updated pretty regularly there. And what I would say uh, to echo what you've just said, it is a great couple of platforms for inspiration for comms people even if you're not working on an EU-funded project, um, you keep it dynamic, Wendy, and whether you say you're, you know, you can't keep up with young folk, but you definitely understand what you want to get out of comms um, and you're, you're a visionary. But um, as always, great to chat to you, and I'm sure I'll, I'll see you next week, but thanks for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thanks, Joanne. I appreciate you having me. And just another message to everyone out there, support the mission. <laughs> In any Absolutely. way, in any way you can, and every little yeah, bit matters. <laughs> yeah.
Thanks, Wendy. Thank you very much for tuning in to episode 83 of the Public Sector Marketing Show. And if you want more public sector marketing advice, why not pick up a copy of my book, Public Sector Marketing Pro, available on Amazon, also available in Kindle format. And if you'd like to listen to your books, then you can download it from Audible. Another reminder that if you want to be more proficient in the skills that I teach and that I preach in this podcast, why not consider taking one of my courses? You can do it in your own time, but I do have a schedule of live online training coming up. So go ahead, jump over to publicsectormarketingpros.com, view our training calendar, and you can also get the show notes from today's episode. I will see you on episode 84. If you enjoyed this episode, please share with a public sector pro you know. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast platform or on YouTube. For more free resources, details of our upcoming training courses and consulting options, log on to publicsectormarketingpros.com.